Welcome to BCP News Unfiltered. I am your brother. I am your host, Brother James. We appreciate your support, folks. This is a viewer-supported, subscriber-supported show. We thank you for your support. Okay, folks. I'm going to... This is not a doctrinal Christian show, but I, I do have to share this news with me uh, with you. This came as a shock to me. Honestly, I was surprised... When I read, not so much when I read the headline, but when I read what was going on here. The Mennonite church changes stance in favor of LGBT community. What exactly does this mean? One of America's most outwardly conservative denominations has recently come in favor of, of embracing members of the LGBT community. Okay, stop. I don't believe in rejecting people because they're gay or lesbian or transgender. They are children of God. They are brothers and sisters. They are to be loved. And we love the sinner. We do not embrace the sin. Okay? So if someone is trying to repent, trying to overcome that lifestyle, we support them with Christian and fraternal love and support. But we don't go and embrace that lifestyle. Okay? We don't support the lifestyle. It is not biblical. I know many of you don't agree with me, and I know many of you are, not many of you, but, okay, hold on a second. Let me, let me back up a second. I know everyone doesn't agree with, with me. I know that our entire audience isn't Christian or Judeo-Christian. There's a lot of you Jews as well uh, among our uh, family. We're all inclusive here. Some of you are gay, lesbian, etc., and transgender. I have met members of this community that are all of those, Okay. What this is to me is wokeism invading religion. You'll see what I mean here in a second. The Mennonite Church of USA is one of America's most theologically radical Protestant Christian denominations with ties to the Amish. Why are they radical? By the way, both groups, the uh, Amish and the Mennonites, trace their lineage to the 16th century Anabaptists. Mennonites, Mennonites believe in pacifism, and that people become Christians by being willingly baptized. Okay, that's not the radical part, folks. Some Mennonites wear old-fashioned clothes, don't use cars, don't smoke, don't drink, don't watch movies, and live in communities separate from the secular world. I think that is the part that the reporter here, Jackson Elliott at Epic Times, is referring to as perhaps radical. I don't drink or nor smoke, so to me that's not radical. But man, do I love cars. And I do watch movies. And I live among the sinners. Because <laughs> we're all sinners. But I live uh, part of the year in California and in Utah. Here's the, uh, here's the part that kind of blew me away. The church passed a resolution that the church was guilty of committing violence against alphabet people, LGBTQ people. The church repealed older church instructions for pastors not to officiate same-sex marriages. So they separate themselves from the secular world and now their pastors are able to officiate in same-sex marriages. This is where wokeism is invading the church or religion and that is shocking to me. Not that this is that other churches haven't done it. Um, I read a report, I think it's in the same article, that three, oh here it goes, of America's top 
10 largest denominations, three now support LGBTQ sexual identities, meaning as well, uh, same-sex marriages. I just found that, I just found this to be surprising and quite shocking. I was set back. I mean, the Mennonites, they separate themselves from the secular world and they are in the name of wokeism or I don't know what, or pacifism to the nth degree. They are now condoning and supporting that lifestyle. What are your thoughts? Put it down below. All right, here's another uh, interesting story. This is the unfiltered uh, show. I'm unfiltered. I'm sharing with you stuff <laughs> that just got me going, whoa. Look at this headline from CBS News the other day. Man admits to faking his own death to try to avoid sex abuse charges involving girl 14. Let me give you the, uh, let me give you the skinny on this. This is one wild story. A man is pleaded guilty to faking his own death in an attempt to avoid going to prison for repeatedly raping and ultimately impregnating a 14-year-old girl. Jacob Blair Scott was 40 when he sexually abused and impregnated his victim in Mississippi. I want to say that Mississippi actually has one of the uh, lowest uh, ages of consent. Let me uh, duck, 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 go this. I'm not going to Google this because it'll be saved in their thing and they'll think I'm some kind of deviant. I'm doing this for a news story. Okay, so it says here that the age of consent in Mississippi is 16. Now, once again, I don't condone a, a, a four-year-old impregnating a 16-year-old just because the law says that it's okay. I was just curious how far off they were in the name of journalism. So let me continue with this story because this is a wild one. Scott's victim told the court that he had abused her at least 30 times beginning in 2016 and ending in 2017 when she found out that she was pregnant. So I don't know if she was 14 the whole time or if we started abusing her when she was 13 and then impregnated her when she was 14. In July 2018, while facing 14 sexual abuse charges, Scott was uh, out on a boat and he sent a false distress signal call off the coast of Alabama. Quote, CBS News reported that the Orange Beach Police Department responded to a call for assistance and found a small boat in the Gulf of Mexico about a mile away from shore with a gun tied to it. It was empty except for a suicide note. For over a week, rescuers and law enforcement searched for his body in the Gulf of Mexico before giving up and presuming that he was dead. Local station reports that the search of the cost, cost the Coast Guard the cost for the Coast Guard to do the search was a little over $17,000. Quote, according to Scott's written plea agreement, he left several suicide notes in Mississippi, including one that told family members not to change their phone numbers for a year. He also withdrew $45,000 from his bank account before he disappeared, according to the plea document. Well, I don't think that you could consider this a suicide when he said, hey, don't change your numbers and I took money out. Something that suicidal people would do, right? No, sounds like people who are on the run. Uh, in January 2020, Scott was found living in a mobile home park in Antlers, Oklahoma, under the fake name Lucas Marty Walding. In June, uh, the reason why this is coming up, this is recent news, in, John, in June, Scott was convicted by a jury of sexual battery and child abuse charges and sentenced to 85 years in prison. Now the sexual abuser has also pleaded guilty to sending a false distress call, transportation of firearm across state lines by someone under indictment, and false information and hoaxes. Wow, they should probably get the FBI and the deep state on all their false flags for sending false distress calls, transportation of firearms across state lines uh, by the federal 
indictment, uh, fake indictment agency, and for false information and hoaxes. But I digress. Quote, prosecutors have agreed to recommend a punishment within advisory sentencing guidelines concurrent with the 85-year sentence he received in the Jackson County child sexual exploitation case in June. So uh, that was just a wacky story, folks. I don't know. I just felt like sharing it to you. This is the unfiltered show, remember. Scott is a uh, military veteran who was awarded a Purple Heart in 2011 for injuries he received while deployed in Iraq, according to the U.S. Marshal Service, which had one listed, once listed him as one of its 15 most wanted fugitives. So the Marshals weren't falling for it. Crazy story. All right, folks. Speaking about uh, people trying to get away, and th- this, this is absolutely crazy. So I'm not on TikTok, but... Those on social media, I believe it was on Twitter as well. This uh, went viral. Here's Meyer Flores. Border Patrol agents assigned to San Diego sector tackle and arrest suspected smugglers at the border. And as you can see in this video, border agents in Southern California arrest some smugglers. They're they're wearing uh, sweatsuits because they're trying to smuggle people across. Now... If you're not familiar with the area, I'm familiar with it. There's a part in Tijuana called Playas de Tijuana, Tijuana Beaches. It's one of the nicer areas uh, in Tijuana. It is uh, north. It's 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 the north coast of Tijuana, and it's just south of San Diego on the coast. It's on the beach. So here is the beach, and then here's a fence. And when you get across that fence in some marsh, the next beach will put you in San Diego, north of the border. There's only a fence that comes out and into the ocean. And it looks like this is where it happened because just people were cheering uh, for the smugglers and jeering the border patrol on the Mexican side that are trying to get these smugglers. Well, here is the crazy update to this story. We found out, this happened a few days ago on the 22nd, uh, we found out, it uh, looks like, uh, on uh, a few days after that, that the FBI is investigating the incident involving Border Patrol agents taking down alleged smuggler after video goes viral. Does this not remind you of the whipping story? Oh my gosh, we got a new whipping story. The FBI is investigating an incident captured in a viral video where Border Patrol agents appeared to physically take down an alleged smuggler in California. The Daily Caller News Foundation has learned. The video showed an incident that happened Sunday when Border Patrol agents were working to apprehend two illegal migrants who swam around the border wall in Imperial Beach, California. The migrants actively resisted and assaulted the agents, and the agents used less lethal devices. CBP originally earlier told that it couldn't comment on the incident due to an ongoing FBI investigation. The FBI San Diego Field Office confirmed the investigation to the Daily Caller News Foundation. The FBI is aware of the situation involving two CBP agents that occurred on Sunday near Imperial Beach and is investigating the assault on federal officers. We will review all available facts of the incident to determine what federal response is warranted. As this is an ongoing matter, we have no further comment. So is this them looking into the assault on federal officers or the federal officers being heavy-handed using non-lethal force with these invaders? The agents took one unaccompanied child from Mexico 17 and one adult from Mexico into custody and transported them to processing, CBP said. 
Representative Meyer Flores first shared the video, which was originally posted to TikTok on Twitter, mon- on Twitter Monday. The Texas Republicans said the incident occurred in the San Diego border sector. The f- uh, footage appeared to show border agents attempting to f- uh, fend off an alleged smuggler on the beach, one with a baton, followed by an agent physically knocking the individual down. Another alleged smuggler appeared to be pinned down by another agent in the background. The video I posted yesterday is just a small example of what our brave men and women of CBP deal with on a daily basis, and now they are being investigated for possibly uh, being heavy-handed, or at least that is um, some of the spin on it. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Are they being investigated uh, because these guys were attacking them, or knowing the corrupt FBI, they're going to come after these agents for doing their job? Now, let me show you this little quick silent video reminding you that we are under invasion. Mostly military age men just walking into our country to be processed and let go. Before, that would be considered an invasion and would be met with lethal force. Definitely not less than lethal force. But there you have it. Okay, in yesterday's uh, short episode, I talked about and show you the uh, video clip of Anthony Fauci saying that he's willing to defend his disastrous career if he's called back in to, by the legislators post-retirement. And of course, he said, I'll only do that, and he gave his conditions, okay? Man, let me just remind you of some things that are indefensible that Anthony Fauci did. He flip-flopped and lied for over a year to the American public about the seriousness of the COVID-19 virus and his role in funding the Chinese virology lab and the origins of the virus. He was a cover-up artist. We have emails showing this. He lied to the American public about the success of hydroxychloroquine, which is very successful. He made it sound like it was a dangerous drug. Hundreds of thousands of Americans died when hydroxychloroquine was available, but banned by Fauci and the CDC from COVID patients because, of course, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson would be denied profits from their fake COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, how about his flip-flop on mask wearing? On March 8, 2020, Anthony Fauci advised healthy Americans against wearing face masks. On May 2020, uh, excuse me, that was in March. The next month in April, the CDC said Americans should be wearing face masks for COVID, which he supported. Then in May 2020, Anthony Fauci and the New England Journal of Medicine admitted that masks are little more than symbols. In other words, they were virtual signals. But in January 25th of 2021, Dr. Fauci told healthy Americans that they should wear two masks instead of one. I want to see him defend this and defend the lockdowns and defend every other thing that this very evil, wicked, vile, disgusting man has done. His ass should be in jail. Oh, a week after that, on January 30th, 2021, Dr. Fauci backtracked and said that maybe we shouldn't wear multiple masks. This man is retiring with millions of dollars, millions of dollars in profits, and a huge fat pension. All right, folks, let's get into this. Um, At the Moment of Truth Summit at the Arizona State House this past weekend, candidate Liz Harris presented some of the results from the canvassing that her team conducted after the 2020 elections. Now, we've covered this before. Gateway Pundit covered this. Uh, Others have covered this. But uh, here are some of the bombshells 
from the Moment of Truth Summit that are very interesting. Liz Harris revealed that individuals in the fight for election integrity have lost their lives. Aaron Wagner, who was reported to have died from COVID-19, and app developer Dustin Lawn died when he got hit in a hit-and-run accident in Florida in the early morning hours on his motorcycle. By the way, the cameras at the intersection were apparently not working at that time and no suspect had been identified. Liz also spoke of a third individual who was involved in a plane crash but survived. All three of these people who died of COVID, who was hit, uh, died in a hit and run where there was no uh, camera and survived a plane crash All three were directly and pertinently involved in the Maricopa Maricopa audit in Canvas. Folks, this is dangerous work. She also revealed that just one password was used for all Maricopa County employees accessing the voter system. We talked about this and and, and uh, and we reported on this. But this is the interesting thing. In the ongoing Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs lawsuit, they asked for the password to be unmasked and the judge refused stating the stating security concerns. You would think by now that the password would actually have been changed and there would be no security concerns. And this is what Harris stated. I'm pretty sure being as involved as I am that the password is password. Wow. Okay, not done here. Harris noted that Ben Cotton's account of the network configuration of 2019 and 2020 was completely different from the 21 to 22 configuration that Special Master John Shattuck looked at with three cybersecurity experts who were under a non-disclosure agreement. Completely different. What was audited, what was looked at, wasn't what was there during the actual election cycle. Harris claimed CyberNinja CEO Doug Logan had his hands tied by the legislators' attorneys that warned the legislators about going in certain directions with the Arizona audit. I told you and I reported at length that the Cyber Ninja CEO, they just, they were heroes, but they weren't heroes at the end. We'll just leave it at that. Um, Counterfeit ballots were discovered in the audit, but the legislators did not allow the information in the report. And canvassing revealed almost 300,000 potentially illegal votes, but legislators did not allow it in the report. Wow. All right, folks, let's talk about what else we found out. At uh, this Moment of Truth Summit in Springfield, Missouri, this past weekend, hosted by Mike Lindell, election integrity activists and experts from around the country had the opportunity to present their individual states and discrepancies they found. Let's look at Alabama. Angela Shepard and, and Jackson Slyle represented Alabama. This is what we found out in their six-minute presentation. In one county in Alabama, the ES&S voting machines accepted a Xerox copy of a mail-in ballot during logic and accuracy testing. That shouldn't be allowed. Rather than address this very serious vulnerability, 
The ES&S representatives told them there's no way people would do this and that you would see people feeding Xerox pallets, uh, that you would see people feeding Xerox ballots through the machines. Oh, it can do it, but don't worry about it. You'll be able to catch it real time when it happens. They decided to try this experiment in another county. It's believed that it was Baldwin County and took a ballot to a print shop to make copies. The print shop should have refused to print copies of a legal U.S. ballot, but rather asked, how many copies do you need? The machines in a second county accepted Xerox copies. Better yet, these ballots were shaped to fit with scissors and still accepted. So they had irregular sizes on the edges and the ESNS machines still accepted them. Wow. There's a lot of information there. How about this? This incident that was reported to Gateway Pundit by the mother of Ashley Babbitt. She was turned away from a DC courthouse because she had a small pocket-sized photo of Ashley Babbitt on her shirt. Check this out and tell me what you think. Mickey Wick- Whithoff, uh Thanks, thanks for joining me. Um, this is Jim Hoft with Gateway Pundit. And you were telling me uh, about this incident that happened last week inside uh, the courtroom in Washington, D.C. during one of the January 6th political prisoners trials. Can you can you tell yeah. us about that? Well, I went to the second day. Well, I went to it the first day, too, but didn't have any problems. And when I returned on the second day to call at Simon's trial, I was met at the door by the bailiff who said they don't allow flags banners or t-shirts with political slogans that favor one side or the other, which confused me because it wasn't a jury trial. It was strictly a bench trial. And my shirt had a picture of my daughter right? and it had her date of birth and date of death on it. And they told me I couldn't come in with that shirt on. So I asked if I could turn it inside out and go inside. So they said I could turn it inside out and go inside. So, right. So they, so they said that, um, they said that having a picture of your daughter on your T-shirt is a political um, statement. Is that was that their argument? Well, yes. They said no political banners, slogans, or T-shirts that favor one side or the other, and that I could not come in with the shirt I had on, which was simply a picture of my daughter. And the only thing they had seen was a small picture on the front. They didn't even see the picture on the back yet, which is really quite large, but. I had a small pocket-sized picture of my daughter on the front of my shirt and was turned around at the door until I went and turned it inside out. Oh, my gosh. That's that's just insane. And you're in DC. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Um, yeah. I, um, it was worth trying. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to make the argument that, you know, it's my right to wear my daughter's picture on my shirt, and I don't really know how that's a, a political slogan, but I was more interested in getting inside to see the public defender kick an ass. So it was um, definitely worth watching so uh-huh um, uh, i'm glad to, good things for that trial I, i'm so glad to hear that there was at least one public defender who um seems to be an honest person and a person of integrity because it, it yeah she did a really good job of uh of defending Calvin mm-hmm. simons i just hope we i hope the judge has some fairness in his heart yes amen all right folks uh what are your thoughts here i'm, I'm curious curious what your thoughts are here i'm looking at this picture and i can see why this could have happened. First of all, it's a picture of someone holding a flag and that's supposed to have any political things or any flags. And the name Ashley Babbitt's on there. That's pretty loaded politically. 
even though it's a picture of her. It says her name, and it is, it's got a flag on it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but the bailiff or whoever who is enforcing the rules of the court, it seems like this is a violation of the court. This, you have a picture of Ashley Babbitt, even if you're the mother, that's a political statement. We've got to be fair. We've got to call them both ways. That's my analysis. What are your thoughts? Put it down below. We'll be back with more uh, news tomorrow. And uh, folks, there's a lot brewing. There's a lot brewing. I'm working on something. I don't know if I'll have it this week or next. If it, if I get to some kind of conclusion or some information, perhaps I should have mentioned it just in case it doesn't pan out. But I'm working on something kind of cool. Hopefully it'll pan out. We'll see. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Once again, thanks for your support. Gotta give us what we want. Uh, gotta give us what we need.